certainly this story caught my eye because this is a very big Supreme Court uh, decision that came down today. And the implications of it, had it gone the other way, would have been enormous. But the decision states clearly that Ottawa lawmakers do not have to consult with Indigenous people before drafting up policy. And it stems back to a case involving the Miccosu Cree First Nations in Alberta. And they had argued that the two omnibus budget bills introduced by the former conservative federal government in 2012 affected its constitutionally protected tree rights because they amended regulatory protections for waterways and the environment. Sounds pretty technical. So they had argued that they deserved to be consulted. And today the courts released their ruling saying no. You don't need to be consulted. So a very big win for the government because, as I said, the implications going the other way would have been enormous. And there'll be a lot of debate on this. Like, how do you get the reconciliation, you know, build relationships and get things done if First Nations groups feel that they're being cut out of the process? Well, not everyone is seeing it this way. In fact, some say it could give us more clarity, which includes my next guest. He's the former Manitoba Grand Chief, Derek Nepanak, and he joins me now. Great to have you with us tonight. I want to know, what's your first reaction uh, to the ruling itself? Well, I guess my, my first reaction is, is, is quite, I think, quite simple. At first blush, it appears to be a contradiction to an earlier duty to consult a decision that came from the Supreme Court from the same community, the Miccosuke Creek. But when you mm-hmm. look at it a little bit deeper, what you see is that, you know, this, this pertains to the legislative branch of, of the federal government. And, and I'm not surprised that they, you know, refuse to get involved in, in uh, what is essentially a division of powers issue. So when it comes to Indigenous uh, people and, and our rights, we have to recognize that, you know, Parliament and uh, the judiciary and the executive are going to maintain that division of powers uh, whenever it comes up for, for, for a legal challenge. And we should not be surprised by this decision. Okay, so how does then it change anything? Because, you know, we're in a period where we've got things like Trans Mountain, where we've got a lot of Indigenous consultation going on. Um, you know, the, the courts just ruled on that. Doesn't this contradict that? Doesn't this basically say, you know, had the feds challenged the decision of Trans Mountain, let's say, to appeal the decision, would this decision have basically given the stamp of approval to move ahead with a project, let's say, like Trans Mountain? Well, you have to remember that Trans Mountain is is premised on a body of regulatory and legal decisions that go back many, many decades, right back to the very early construction of the original Trans Mountain pipeline. And, you know, working with an existing body of law, Indigenous communities can step up and they can challenge them and they can say, Mm -hmm. you know what, this body of law that's there today failed to meet a duty of of, uh, consultation, failed to meet you know, a standard of accommodation for Indigenous people. And that's the premise, I think, that a lot of Indigenous communities are challenging existing law. This new decision that's come out is premised on future laws that are being written or future laws that are being contemplated now. So I think that there's a clear delineation from, you know, yesterday's law versus what's being contemplated for tomorrow. But that doesn't excuse governments from acting honorably. And that was also noted in the, uh, yes. in the decision that governments have a duty and responsibility to act honorably in their dealings with Indigenous people. But that also raises the red flag as to whether or not there's, a, there's an inherent conflict of interest when, when Canada is pursuing legislation that's going to enable certain industries to develop the land in, in ways that they see fit versus protecting Indigenous interests out there as well. Oh. So that's a, that's a difficult issue itself. 
Well, it is. Um, and so can this decision then possibly be looked at as a reset button if we're looking forward? Because this is a government in particular that, you know, um, campaigned and said and made a lot of promises to indigenous communities. And so this decision is, I think, going to be a challenge for them as to how they move forward striking the right balance um, in honoring indigenous law and making legislation that we can actually get stuff done in this country. Yeah, that, that's absolutely correct. And, and if anything, <clears throat> this decision provides a little bit more clarity in terms of how Indigenous people approach, you know, the powers that be in Ottawa in recognition of, of the division of powers. And, and I think that when we, when we arrive at a place where there's more clarity in terms of how we challenge and how, how we address, you know, the biggest issues of the day, whether that be Trans Mountain or something else, it, it allows us to become more concise in terms of how we deal with, uh, you know, our interests on the land versus, you know, economic interests that might affect a, a broader portion of, of Canadian society. So I, I look at it as, as a positive step. I think mm-hmm. that there's going to be, you know, some, some positive dialogue coming out of this. You know, the, the first public perception, however, is that there's no duty to consult. And I've seen that through... Yeah. You know, my, my tracking of social media, a lot of Indigenous people are, are uh, very upset as, as to what they've seen today. However, it's important to look beyond, you know, the, the first perception and, and get to the actual, uh, you know, the, the, the actual details of the case and, and, the, and the decision. Yeah, I mean, I think the Trans Mountain issue has polarized Canadians, um, you know, to the point where they say, we can't get anything done. And Indigenous communities are saying, well, we want to be respected. So how do you strike that balance? And and do you get the sense that we're at a point where we can bring, um, because there are a lot of Indigenous groups that actually do want to get stuff done, you know, regarding um, resource projects and such. And then there are bands and groups that don't, and they hold up the process. Do you get the sense that we're at a point where we can maybe get everyone on the same page, or is there always going to be this division? I think I think that there's an onus on us who, who carry a public voice from time to time to be to be clear that there it's not as polarized as we think. I think mm-hmm. all Indigenous people are focused on. Um, uh, development and and it's really how do we define development? Do we define development as extracting more fossil fuel, or do we mm-hmm. define development as finding alternative ways of creating energy to sustain future generations of people? And I think that's really what the the, the dividing factor is: is that people out there don't want to see you know climate change and global warming accelerating with the extraction of more fossil fuel. We want to see changes that are going to be progressive, changes that are going to help sustain. Uh, you know, humanity for uh, for generations to come. So it, it's very careful in terms. We got to be very careful in terms of how we position this. But you know, with that said, I think there are ways of advancing the discussion. I think that this decision coming out of the Supreme Court is a good way of identifying clarity and 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 maybe you know refocusing purpose in terms of what our dialogues with with Ottawa look like. And what would your advice then be if you were to be uh, you know the voice to say this is how we should do it? What would your advice then be? Well, my, my advice to, you know, my, my fellow... And I would say to both sides. So let, let's say your advice to Indigenous groups and your advice to, to the federal government. Sure. My, my advice to Indigenous groups are, being an Indigenous person myself, is that we always have to focus on the reinvigoration of our own traditional uh, knowledge as well as our own mm-hmm. traditional laws. And we have those there. We just need to find and develop processes of articulating those and getting them out into the broader audience. So that's... An ongoing effort. I think, from the perspective of messages to the federal government, I think that you know their effort to continue to consult with Indigenous people, communities, and leadership 
um, is, 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 is warranted. You know, we, we need to maintain, I think, a very robust dialogue in terms of, you know, what the future relationship will look like. I think that the continued efforts to implement the uh, Truth and Reconciliation Commission recommendations on a regional or a provincial basis is good. And I think that, uh, you know, we, we are on a good path, even though we hit bumps in the road. I think that the commitment is there. Um, and that's my own personal opinion, but uh, I think there's others that would, would, would agree with me on that. Yeah, I mean, I, I take from what you're saying that you look at this as positive. I just I get concerned that, cons- you know, consultation can mean many things to many different people. And there will be those who say, yeah, no, we're still fighting this. And we kind of stay in that same place. Whereas everyone just gives a little bit. Maybe we can start getting stuff done. Exactly, exactly. I think we have to focus on becoming less entrenched in, in maybe fundamental positions and be willing to elevate the level of the discussion to one where uh, where people can actually leave a table feeling like we've accomplished something instead of grinding our, our wheels in the same place. And uh, I, I think we are making progress, but the more progress we make, the, the more vocal some of the criticism becomes. So. Yeah. Oh, well. Well, as long as um, the takeaway for me is that you don't look at this as an interruption to any kind of reconciliation moving forward. I think that, uh, you know, from what I've observed, you know, through the legislative process, there are levels of consultation. There are levels yeah. of discussion happening, whether they be through Senate committee or parliamentary committee hearings. We are getting our voices heard in there. I have uh, I've myself have made submissions to the Senate committee in the past. Um, many of my friends in leadership have done the same thing. So there is involvement. There is, uh, you know, a dialogue happening. Whether the, whether it meets a threshold of consultation or not, I think, is, is, is less important than the fact that we're talking and that we're trying to move the markers down the field here. I so much appreciate you giving some clarity from uh, the other side of this conversation. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. I hope it helps out a little bit. Miigwech. Thank you. That is former uh, Manitoba Grand Chief Derek Nepenak. And I think, look, that, that's a pretty fair stance to have on it. And it's clearly um, there are groups, in fact, that will and are able to consult and negotiate. So let's see where this thing goes. I'm Alex Pearson. This is Global News Radio.